The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Who doesn't love a mountaintop experience? I bet uh, Peter, James, and John didn't mind having one. The glory of God in Jesus right in front of their eyes. They experienced on that mountain with Jesus, Jesus being transformed uh, before their eyes into glory. As, As the curtain was pulled back just a little bit further for them to get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. What an amazing experience. Now I can imagine that these uh, men had had quite another strange experience as they navigated their way down the mountain. Imagine for a second you in their shoes. How would you make sense of what you just saw? On top of that, they would have also been thinking about what Jesus had said to them after he transfigured in front of their eyes about not telling anyone about this until he had risen from the dead. Risen from the dead, what does, whatever that means. But as Peter and James and John and Jesus get drawn nearer to the others down below, they are slowly able to make out what they, they can see is quite a commotion. You know how you can see from a long way off how there's some, you know, something's up. There's a crowd of people gathering together, people running to get a closer view. They see this in, in the distance, and then as they come closer, they're, they're met by these crowds and are quickly surrounded by people. People shouting, people arguing. The disciples probably thinking to themselves or out loud, what is, what is this all about? What's going on here? Th- their minds are still, are still trying to make sense of uh, the, the experience of the presence of God that they just had, and they run right into the wall that is the daily work of their ministry. But they, they might have turned to each other Peter, James, and John, and said, you know, why couldn't these disciples just have kept the peace for a few days while we were away? Come on, do things have to get out of hand so quickly? Or uh, how come the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have to always be picking a fight? Can't they just give us a break for a few minutes? Or the sick are so needy. Can't they just give us a break? Maybe the most burning question, though, for these disciples at this moment is, is back up there on that mountain, will that ever happen again? Because that was amazing. Which one of us doesn't love a mountaintop experience? You know, many of us have had great experience, per, experiences. Perhaps it was a, a weekend away with your family, time where you could 
you know, disconnect from the normal day-to-day life. Maybe it was, uh, you know, skiing for, for a week. Maybe it was heading up to a family cottage or going camping, and you were just able to relax and enjoy each other's company, and you, you know, it was just such, an, such a, nice, a nice time. And then Monday morning hit, right? And we know, we know the drill. Uh, we pound back the third cup of coffee, trying to get the pistons pumping in our brains to prepare for that staff meeting or the, the job update that's come way too quickly or being rushed to put together the finishing touches on something that, that your coworker was supposed to handle while you were away, but you found out that they didn't, and now you have to take care of it. Not to mention the inbox that is full because... Work keeps piling up, even when we're away on vacation. And the voicemails on our phone. It's amazing to think of how far away that experience was when we hit the wall of Monday morning. Or maybe a few, uh, a few months ago, you attended a conference, right? And you found yourself walking away uh, feeling very empowered and passionate and renewed. To, to put into practice the things that the speakers and the breakout sessions were all about. You know, you were filled with excitement for what's life, what's possible in your life, in your job, in your church, in your school. And then a few weeks later, and nothing has stuck. And that flame that was burning so brightly, that passion inside of you is starting to flicker. As we hit the wall that is the difficult, ordinary day-to-day parts of our lives. Even the feelings we get when we experience a deeply moving and powerful worship service, and we leave church feeling so thankful and, and filled with, with God's grace, and, and then Monday afternoon rolls around, and we can't remember any of the songs that we sang or what the sermon was about. It can be so hard to carry with us mountaintop experiences 24-7, 365 days of the year, especially when things in our lives, the people, the places, the, 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 the responsibilities that we have constantly seem to be getting in the way of what happened up there. Who doesn't love a mountaintop experience? But when these experiences don't last, we can find ourselves feeling probably the same way the disciples felt. Will we ever experience that glory again? This is the tension that the gospel writer Mark is giving to us in this story. Between the presence of God that was revealed to Peter, James, and John on that mountain, and the daily, mundane, ordinary parts of their ministry that they run into right away. The story continues to unfold in front of the disciples as Jesus begins gathering more information about the condition of this boy who's, who's sick. Jesus is, after all, he's taking over from his disciples on a failed attempt at healing this boy. The father is crying to Jesus, urging him to see the terror, see what this condition is doing to his his boy. He continues to explain, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. And as a last resort, a cry for something to happen, the father begs Jesus, "If, if you can do anything, take pity on us, 
Help us. All of the pain and the fear in this family is being thrown at the feet of Jesus to do the remarkable, to do something amazing. Now, there's a good chance that there has been information that has been passed to this boy's father about Jesus. Word is traveling about the rabbi who can do amazing things. And hope has filled him once again. Hope that maybe Jesus and his gang of followers could help him with something that nobody else has been able to help him with. But his experience with the disciples and, and their, their inability to do anything has him at the end of his rope. Jesus is a little like a shark smelling blood when he smells the, the doubt in this man. Right? If you can, Jesus replies to this man, anything is possible for those who believe. One commentator uh, paraphrases this verse by saying, in regards to your remark about my ability to help your son, I tell you everything depends not on my ability to act, but on your ability to believe. But Jesus puts the ball in the father's court. And in a quick, honest cry, the father replies to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think this is one of the moments in Jesus' ministry where everything is so silent that you could hear a pin drop. All eyes would have been focused on Jesus like a laser. What is he going to do? With the boy who is on the ground as a living and breathing testimony of the brokenness in our world, of everyone's need for the healing touch of Jesus, the crowds look on in anticipation. How will Jesus respond to this man's cry? Will he have pity? Will he save him? Can he even heal him? I mean, his disciples couldn't, so why on earth should we think that Jesus can? Jesus sees that the crowds were gathering and getting larger and larger, and he looks and he turns upon the boy who's on the ground, who's foaming at the mouth, and he rebukes the evil spirit. He says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Instantly, the spirit shrieks, forces the boy into an even greater convulsion, and leaves him in a motionless mess on the dusty ground, just laying there. And then the murmuring begins. As those who are close enough to see what's really going on start whispering to people around them, he's dead. dead. But Jesus is undisturbed, calmly reaches out, grabs the boy's lifeless hand from his chest, and lifts him to his feet. Right into everyone's amazement, when Jesus lets go, the boy actually stands 
right, on his own two feet, healed and alive. What do you do when you experience something like that? What do you do? You, do you clap? Do you sing? Do you do you shout? I wonder what the disciples did. I wonder what Peter, James, and John thought. Right? Maybe they saw underneath this healing. Maybe they saw and realized that the glory, the presence of God, the majesty and power of the Almighty that they experienced up there happened again. Down here. In the ordinary, mundane parts of their life. In the place where they least expected it. In, in, the, in the brokenness of a, of a sick boy and a father who had normal doubts. Jesus reveals his glory, his power, his majesty, his commitment to making everything right, even there. Now, this was probably not the last time the disciples found themselves asking the glory question. Because soon after this story took place, they watched as the one who they called Christ was being killed in front of their eyes on a cross. The disciples observed from afar that the execution of their Savior and with it the death of the hope they needed the glory that they longed for in their lives, it was all being killed right in front of them, and they must have hit a massive wall. How could the glory of God be at work in this? But again, Jesus breaks down the wall. On the third day after Jesus died, glory happened again in the most unexpected way, when, when the ultimate transfiguration took place, where God again pours out the power of his Holy Spirit, raises Christ from the dead. Right, An ugly crucifixion brought, brought on the extraordinary resurrection, which shows us that there is no place where God's glory is not at work. You know, from the outside, to those, those who were looking at the cross, they thought to themselves, there is no way anything good could come out of this. This is it. But God was at work, Jesus Christ on the cross, destroying death itself, paying the price for our sin and brokenness. When we hit head-on the wall, whatever it's called in our lives, Monday morning, the unexpected life circumstances, the pain and the suffering that each of us experiences in different ways. Whatever, whatever we have in our life that is getting in the way of the glory of God that we experienced before or that we long for to come true in, a, in, in our lives in new ways, the cross assures us that God's glory is at work. It's not reserved for special occasions or for mountaintop experiences. It is alive and active in the thick of it, in the ordinary day-to-day -day parts of our lives. In my old congregation, we, uh, 
as part of our youth group, would meet together about once a month earlier than the 7 o'clock time that was normal for what we called Homework Club. And we, uh, as, as youth leaders, wanted to create a space where we could invite students to bring their homework and do it in a place where we could help them if they needed help or even just to do homework with other students. And one thing that I learned uh, through this was that I have no idea how to help a student with physics. I was never a physics student in high school. In fact, I kept a 25-foot pole in my backpack just in case I got anywhere near the physics room that I could maintain a safe distance. But as I was sitting beside a student who was working on physics, not at all helping, I discovered something. See, when a physics question, like a car that's dragging a trailer, and we have to calculate the friction that it causes or the drag, the question is actually not asking, asking the student to create any of that. The, the question is asking the student to uncover what's already there, to do some digging. And what's actually happening is, in physics, you're discovering the glory of God. How everything in our world is predictable and is put in place. And we can see it. This is the same way that new parents welcome a baby into the world. Right from the first time a baby kicks to, you know, as the child's learning to walk or talk or ride a bike, Glory shows itself in the most ordinary and mundane parts of our lives. The question is, do we see it? I invite you to look at your life. We often see God in the joys, in the mountaintop experiences. But what about the ordinary things? What about the things that happen to us every single day? If we learn anything about the God of the Scriptures through this, this story, we know that God is committed to making all things right, even things in our daily lives. He calls us as followers to do the same thing that he asked the boy's father to do, to trust him. To trust him that he knows best. That he knows what he's doing, even though we can't see it. That each and every mundane, ordinary thing that you find yourself caring about, that God cares about too. And so we can look for God's glory, we can trust it, and we can have faith that he is working in our lives, whether or not we can see it. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. You are a good father. You are better than we could imagine. We know, Lord, that there are times in our lives where we can't see you, where we get frustrated with how things are going, when it gets really hard and it feels like we can't go on. Father, we pray that you would help us in these moments. That we would hold on to the promises that you make to us in our baptism, 
hold on to the promises that you make to us in Jesus, in the cross, in the resurrection, that you are making all things new. Father, we can't do this without your Holy Spirit. We ask that you give us your Spirit that would strengthen our hearts, that would um, protect our minds from doubt, that we would hold tight to the promises that you make to us in your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen.